Welcome to the Social Flight Live podcast, an audio version of our live show, hosted every Tuesday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern at socialflightlive.com. Social Flight is brought to you by Aspen Avionics, Avidyne, Bose Aviation, Continental Aerospace Technologies, Lightspeed Aviation, Massimo Mighty Sat, Tempest Aero Group, and Whip Air. And now, here's your host, Jeff Simon. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Social Flight Live. I'm Jeff Simon. We have an amazing show for you this evening. Kenny G is here, and uh, he's both a pilot and, of course, uh, one of the world's best-known musicians. Cannot wait to have him join us. Before we get started, just a few things. First of all, be sure to check out socialflight.com and the free apps for Apple and Android devices. They have tens of thousands of aviation events, destinations, so many things going on, including webinars and other educational activities such as tonight's show. And in addition to that, you also have the Fly to Win Challenge where we have prizes that we're giving away and so many things. All you need to do is fly, check in and win. We are here to support all of you. And as we approach March and the end of another period of education for those mechanics out there, if you have your IA uh, as well, we have Social Flight's FAA Learning System. Just go to Social Flight, click on the FAA Credits tab, and you can take a bunch of courses for your Aviation Maintenance Technician Credit that Award Program. Or if you have an inspection authorization and you want to use those eight hours of annual education to uh, be able to qualify for your renewal, well, you can do all of that for free on Social Flight. Just go to that same socialflight.com FAA Credits section and search for those IA renewal programs. Tonight's program is brought to us by Bose Aviation and the amazing Bose A30 Digital ANR headset. Absolutely fantastic with wonderful music fidelity, which is a perfect fit for tonight's guest. Kenny G is a household name and the best-selling instrumental artist of all time, known for his innovative, smooth jazz and iconic soprano saxophone. As a composer, producer, and performer, Kenny G has sold more than 75 million records worldwide. What you may not know, is that Kenny's also an avid uh, and passionate pilot. For the past 35 years, he's been a GA pilot transitioning from a Glass Air 3 to his current de Havilland DHC-2 uh, Beaver that uh, brings his aviation passion directly to his lakefront home. Uh, his love of flying has taken him across the United States at a leisurely 98 knots, serenely taking in the view along the way. He was awarded the Living Legends of Aviation Award in 2019, and only a few weeks ago, I was fortunate enough to see his truly spectacular performance accompanying Morgan Freeman singing Fly Me to the Moon at the Living Legends of Aviation event. I'm thrilled to have him with us tonight. I'm going to bring him on the line now. Please help me welcome to Social Flight Live, Kenny G. Hey, how are you doing, Kenny? Hi, Jeff. Thank you for that great intro. Um, very, very nice. Thank you. <laughs> it is uh, it, it is an understatement at uh, at best. Uh, I am uh, so enamored with with your work. You know, it's funny as I talk to a bunch of different people and and so many um, uh, hundreds and even thousands of viewers of the show that uh, when we talk about names that people recognize, everyone recognizes the words Kenny G. I mean, you have made it into every household. 
uh, it really is uh, an impressive feat and, uh, and very well deserved, sincerely. So what I'd like to understand a little bit is how, I know you've answered this before in many venues, but how this got started. Like how did you uh, take your love of music and, and find it and then actually become it and make it your commercial uh, focus? Yeah, well, that's a very long story. So <laughs> I'll, I'll try to make it not too long. So you're really asking, how did Kenneth Gorlick become Kenny G, is what you want to know. Right? <laughs> I'm letting, yes, I'm letting you explain that one. <laughs> well, listen, so um, just like most kids, I started an instrument when I was 10. And that's kind of the, the thing in fourth grade. You pick an instrument, uh, back, at least back in my day, and then you just go to school and you carry your instrument there. And then the, there's a teacher there that sh kind of shows you how to play it. Well, when I picked saxophone, uh, I did it because I saw someone playing it on the Ed Sullivan show. I was just watching it. I don't remember who the sax player was. I, I didn't even know much about anything uh, musically then. But I liked, this, this, I liked the way it looked. I, said, I told my mom, I said, you know, I would like to play that instrument. And, you know, so her, um, her experience with me was that I took piano lessons and quit because I didn't like piano. So she said, well, listen, we're just going to rent you a saxophone. You know, you, you know, you may not stick with it. But as soon as I got it, I loved it. And uh, I love practicing. So that's kind of how I got where I'm at. It's just that I love practicing. I'm intrigued with something that interests me. And if it interests me, I want to get really good at it. And when you get good at it, it becomes more fun. And if it's more fun, you keep doing it. And that catch-22 uh, keeps me in, in the game. And like just this morning, Three hours in the morning, I practice my sax again as I do every single day. And so that's how I got here, basically. Uh, and so then, okay, so you can be good on an instrument, but then that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have a career, you know? Right. So how does that all happen? Well, you know, there's a lot of luck that goes involved, there's timing. It just so happened that I, I grew up in Seattle, and when I went to the University of Washington, um, there's a band director there that was responsible for getting people to play in different things. For example, let's say um, Sammy Davis Jr. is coming to town and he needs an orchestra. So who gets to play in that orchestra? Uh, he's not going to carry an orchestra from town to town. So they pick up guys in each city. Mm. Well, my band director was in charge of figuring out who to play and he singled me out because he knew I, was, I had talent. He says, look, you want to do the Sammy Davis Jr. show? I said, of course I do. And so I did that. Uh, and in high school, the same thing happened when Barry White came to town and they needed a sax soloist and I got that gig. And so that kind of started the process of me doing things and creating somewhat of a name. Listen, in those days, Jeff, and uh, I'm not sure if you're younger than me or, or I think you're probably younger than me, but there was no internet, there's no computers, there's no cell phones. So there's no way to know anything about anything unless you read about it in the paper or you saw it on the three channels that we had on TV <laughs> or word of mouth. So word of mouth was that there's a young guy in Seattle that can play. And that word got to a, a guy in Portland, Oregon, who had a band that was looking for a sax player. And he already had a record deal with Arista Records and Clive Davis, the very famous Clive Davis, the, the guy that, that makes people superstars, right? So he's looking for a sax player. He hears about me in Seattle, calls me on, you know, the landline that, that rings at my mom's house, and I'm there. Hello? Hey, this is Jeff Lorber. Who? I, I don't know anything. Anyway, he explains what's going on. I drive down to Portland. I audition for the band. I get the gig. 
I'm on the road with him for five or six years. And after that, Clive Davis, who has seen me play with him year after year, came up and said, listen, I think there's a market for your particular sax playing. Let's do some solo records. And that's how I got my record deal. There you go. Wow. That's yeah. that, that's amazing. Well, you know, one of the things that's also cool is it, it seems to me there are uh, a certain set of instruments that almost are cool by default. Sax is big in that, right? I mean, it, there's a reason it makes it up front with with uh, you know the E Street Band and 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 uh, all all sorts of folks. Sax is something you you get out there and you strut on and you really show your stuff. Um, was yeah, was there absolutely. any element of, of that that kind of drew you to it? I mean, there's a million other other instruments you could have picked. You know, honestly, no. It was really just for the love of the instrument. I I I was a shy guy. Uh, in in high school and college, so it wasn't like I thought I was anything special. So for me, it was just I figured if I learned to play this thing really, really well, things would take care of itself, you know. And I, mm -hmm. I listened uh, to all the great players that I could listen to at the time. Again, somebody has to give you a record, you know, because there's no internet, so you don't know who are the great sax players. So somebody has to tell you that. So my teachers would say, listen, you know, you should listen to John Coltrane or Sonny Rollins or these jazz greats, Stan Getz, who I'd never heard of any of these things. And when I listened to their records, went, whoa, the, the, I said, the sax can do this? I had no idea. This. Okay, if the saxophone can do that, I want to do that. So it just motivated me to practice more. And, and fortunately for me, I could never sound like anyone else, as hard as I tried. I wanted to sound like so-and-so, I wanted to play like so-and-so, and every time I played the saxophone, it just sounded like me. And I was so frustrated uh, for up until a certain point where my sound became something that people enjoyed. And so then it was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be fighting this. And I, it, it was a fight I was gonna lose anyway. No matter what I do, I sound like me. Wow. So. It's a fascinating story. Do you, does that mean then that through people you know, getting introduced through your music teachers and things like that, that you were discovering jazz through your learning of your instrument, actually, instead of like, oh, I grew up on it and then I wanted to learn the instrument? No, I didn't grow up on it. Uh, the funny thing is, in my household, I literally, and this is the truth, I can't remember one day or minute that my parents put on a record to listen to music in our house. There was never any music in our house. Not that there was any reason not to, it just wasn't part of the life that my parents had. So the mm. first record that was ever played in our house was me buying a, I think I bought a record by this group called Tower of Power. And I put <laughs> yes. it on I and I was that. 16 or 17, I just, cause I heard it on, a, on the local radio station. Well, whoa, I really like that. So I went down to the record store and said, well, who is this Tower of Power? So I put it on, I go, oh, I love it. And that was the first record ever played at our household. So I didn't grow up on jazz, but what happened was that since I love sax so much, hearing these jazz greats play these amazing lines made me think, okay, if I practice hard enough, I will learn to do it and I want to do it because that's super great what they're doing. And, and that's, that's kind of how I approach anything. If I really like it, and I see somebody do, doing something really great. I go, okay, show me how to do that because I want to do that too. And then I work hard at it. 
there is really, really something to that because I'll tell you, at, at almost 200 shows that we've done here on Social Flight Live of some of the most inspirational people in aviation and space and some of the most accomplished people in history, there's a common thread of people following a passion that their family didn't necessarily have, where they had to discover it for themselves and blaze their own path. And that's what you're describing to me. That's what I'm hearing is in your discovery of music and you're pushing uh, with both jazz as well as of course your, your proficiency at, at your instrument with the sax, that making your own way and not, and not necessarily having that experience gives you a very unique voice. Is that something that, that kind of resonates with you? Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, the good thing was my parents didn't fight me on it. They didn't say, hey, listen, you know, this music thing, you know, when are you going <laughs> to study something, you know, to get a job? But here's a, another interesting thing. I didn't like studying music. I, when I went to the University of Washington, I went to a music class and the first day of the music class, and now I'd already played a bunch of gigs. So I'd already, I already kind of had a vibe of how to play the sax. So they started talking about the technical side of, of music, the mechanics of the chord structure and the notes. And, and literally, I didn't want to know all that in my head. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to let my ears and my heart tell me what sounded good. That's, mm -hmm. that's, that's what made it really great for me. So I ran out of that class as fast as I could, never turned back, never took another music class other than performance classes. And so for me, it was really just kind of just discovering my own thing. And my parents were happy um, because I, I graduated um, with an accounting degree because that was the only, I, I'm interested in numbers. I like, I like math, I do. So I took all the math classes and I ended up graduating in accounting. And back, though, back in those days, we had just A, B, C, Ds of grades you could get. So my first two years, I had straight A's. So then all of a sudden they implemented the, de the decimal point system. So instead of getting an A, I got like a 3.96. And it's like, oh, I can't get a 4.0 now. There's no more. <laughs> there was no chance for a 4.0. And I was super bummed about that. But there you go. Oh, man. It was, was that kind of your approach to doing it your way as, as opposed to just looking, you know, the... Um, I don't know whether what to call it, but like kind of the very rudimentary learning curve uh, and structure of the instrument. Has that ever been a, a struggle in your career, uh, uh, even with acceptance or, or with the industry or anything like that, by just deciding you're going to do things your way? No, you know, fortunately, um, people responded to the way that I do it, so I didn't have to worry about it. I'm, you know, that's fortunate for me because I could literally play the sax my own way, which is what I do. And the world could say, you know what? We don't really like it very much. We like, <laughs> we like listening to it the way it was or, or a different way. And fortunately for me, people really seem to like what I do. So that's, that kind of just solves the whole problem. And, 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 and even if people didn't, I'd still do it the way that I do it because that's, that's why I do it. I do it because I love the way, I love doing it the way that I do it. That's, that's, it's like flying my, my de Havilland Beaver. I really like flying that airplane. And right now my airplane is down because, and we can get into this later, but it got damaged this summer, um, a bad accident, but, but literally the plane was not being flown. It was sitting on the water and there was a storm hmm. and the storm happened to uh, blow so hard that it broke a big, huge evergreen tree in half and oh. the top half of it, for whatever reason, fell right on top of that beaver. And so, so the beaver, oh. 
is down. The beaver is in parts. Some of the parts are in Minnesota. Some of the parts are in Seattle. It's all getting fixed. But the point I'm making is that that um, friends of mine said, hey, you, you know, you want to go fly my plane? You want to go? It's like, actually, not really. I'm, I'm actually just going to, I'm okay to wait to fly the plane that I like to fly. It's like, I like to play the sax the way that I like to play the sax. So th that's kind of my vibe on, on certain things. And so it worked out really well for me, fortunately, again, because people responded positively to the sound that I came up with. Yeah. When, uh, before we switch to the aviation focus on it, when, when did you switch to kind of what seems to be iconic for you, the soprano sax? Yeah. Well, I started on an alto uh, when I was 10. So 10 through the year uh, in, in my junior year in high school. So I was about 17. And that's when I saw Grover Washington Jr. play a soprano sax. And I go, oh, my gosh, that looks so fun. I got to get one. So how do you get a soprano sax? Well, you put an ad in the paper. And you hope somebody answers your ad in the paper. The old-fashioned eBay, right? It's the old-fashioned eBay. So I put an ad in the paper, and this guy uh, responds. Uh, I just had one soprano saxophone and then left, I guess, my, my mom's phone number. And so they called. A guy called, and he goes, yeah, I've got a, a soprano sax for sale. Uh, I want $300 for it. And I said, okay. So I drove down to oh, – basically, it's by Olympia, Washington, so about an hour and a half drive. And I bought the sax from him. and. I still have the same sax. It's the same sax today that I play on every song I've ever recorded is that sax. Really? Yeah. It's a, it's a, it turned out to be a really beautiful vintage. I mean, I, do we, do we talk about brands on your show? Yeah, whatever you need. Absolutely. Yeah. I, and I'm not getting paid for this either. So just by, by the way, it's, it's a Selmer saxophone. It's called a Selmer Mark six. It was made in 1959, and, and um, you know, I, as, as you and I talked at, at that night at the Aviation Awards, I spent a lot of time in Paris, and, and that's where the, the sax comes from. It's a French-made saxophone. So I took the sax, the old sax, to the, to the Selmer company and said, guys, look, look at this. Tell me when the sax was born. And so it's, it's way before computer records. So the guy goes upstairs, he comes back, there's a huge book, you know, blow, literally blows the dust off, page after page, he goes down, he goes, your sax was made on March 17th, 1959. I said, wow, that's so cool. Anyway, that's my sax. That How wonderful that your first sax that you were able to drive down and pick up is, is of such a quality that, that you're able to keep it with you through your whole career. Yeah, luck, lucky me that that's the sax that that guy wanted to sell, you know, and I know. I, I, every time I play that sax, I just look at it and I feel so lucky that I get to be the keeper of this special saxophone that has the sound that is so special. So, you did, know. did he, did the seller know like what you became and, and what his sax went on to? I wouldn't have no idea. You know, <laughs> my sister just sent me something like last year, which was the bill of sale. So it had his name on it. And I told myself I was going to try to look him up, but I haven't done anything about it yet. But I have no idea if the guy's still alive or if he's if he can if he made any connection between the kid that he sold it to and and me. I would have no idea if that if those dots you know lined up for for him on that. But if he if if he ever if I could ever talk to him, I would certainly tell him how grateful I am for that moment. What a wonderful opportunity if if you end up finding time for something like that to to find out that 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 something kind of set that path. Uh, wow, yeah. that, that that's just epic. So yeah. so tell me, all right, so we go back, we got to switch from flying. So tell me 
about how you got turned on to aviation. You know, just like sax, I, it's always something that's intrigued me. I, I, I never thought about it until one of my musician friends bragged about him getting his pilot's license and he's taking flying lessons out of Burbank Airport. Um, and uh, what was the name of the thing? It was something club. Oh, I can't remember the name of the of the of the place. But anyway, so he says um, you should go see this this guy that's teaching me. He's a really cool guy. And I've always wanted to to know how to fly. So I went and said, listen, uh, let's go up and show me. So the first lesson, you know, obviously, as you know, you once you get up in the air, you can give the controls to anybody. And, and a little, <laughs> and it's like it's not that dangerous because if you got enough altitude, even if they decide that they want to screw it you can get it back and you'll, you'll be fine so he gives me the controls i'm thinking i can't believe i'm actually flying an airplane this is so cool and i really loved it and from then on i, I started taking lessons from him and we became really really good friends and he ended up being the he's teaching my son how to fly as well so it's really cool really? yeah so you get you get at that that was it that you realized that the idea that you had always thought of was correct you got the, bitten by the bug yeah. for real and decided to just go for it huh i decided yeah and and what did i start off with um i never i never liked the the, the uh, cessna the 182s i didn't like the high wing for whatever reason mm -hmm. i wanted to look out and see so i like the low wing and some people don't like the low wing but i it was a cherokee is what i learned on and yeah. i really like the low wing although my beaver obviously has the high wing but I, i'm over i'm over that now so I'm, <laughs> I, I it doesn't matter where the wing is i just have to like the airplane uh, but I, yeah, I had a great time and um, a lot of great experience with him. And then w I ended up actually getting my pilot's license up in Seattle. For whatever reason, the timing worked out. And I did it at a Boeing field in Seattle. And I remember that day, you know, just, and it was so funny. Like I thought by the by the instructor, the, uh, the um, examiner, I'm thinking I failed because he's telling me to do things. And I'm telling him that I'm doing it my way because that's the way I was told. I was taught to do this. Oh, you got to do it this way. I go, no. I'm doing it this way. You, you. I said, you just sit there and watch me fly, and when it's over, you can either pass me or fail me, but I'm going to show you what I've learned. And at the end of the thing, I'm thinking, we had too many of those arguments up in the, <laughs> up in the air. He's going to fail. And I finished the thing, he goes, good job. <laughs> why, why did you put me through all that? Anyway, I just remember that day, uh, just had that feeling of, I'm a pilot. I've got my license. I can fly. I don't have to have anybody else in the airplane. I'm legal. Super cool. Was, were, you, were you nervous on your first solo, the first time that uh, someone got out? Yeah, I was. I was uh, only after um, I started to, you know, make my first climb after takeoff because I'd never flew an airplane that didn't have another 200 pounds in it. Yeah. So all of a sudden, <laughs> the airplane is 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 reacting so different. Wait a minute. Wait. What am I doing wrong? This isn't this isn't correct. Uh, and then I had to feel, oh, 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 we're a lot lighter. We're a lot lighter. Okay. So now everything's different and just feel it. You know, work, you know, I'm a, I'm a jazz player. Just work with what you're, what you're given. So um, I just figured it out and it was cool. And, and uh, I remember, you know, tore my t-shirt and I got a great picture of that. It's super great. Yeah, it was a great feeling. The soloing was a great feeling. Wow. And and then how quickly did you decide that you're, you were going to buy a plane? You're going to move. You said the glass air was the first one that you did? Yeah, pretty pretty soon after I got my my that, pilot. That, yeah. That's an aggressive first plane. Yeah, but it's just like anything else. I just figured I just needed the reps, you know, just yeah. exact thing. You know, you do put in enough reps, you're going to get good at it. So I figured, okay, it it may seem like it's an overwhelming 
and plus it was just a little stick to fly so there wasn't a control yoke so a yeah. little stick to fly uh the guy that built it uh was from walla walla washington old guy and, I, and so i had it all checked out by some avionics guys and and mechanics and they said yeah no the guy built a great plane so it was called triple one juliet quebec that was that was the the call of it and i changed it to triple three kilo golf eventually uh you know kg yeah, oh, yeah. but i still but i you know what i never really liked the call letters with my my initials on it so even though it was triple three kilo golf i always called it triple one juliet quebec and um it was so fun to fly, so fun, so fast. I mean, we would, uh, and then my, my same instructor, hey, Harry, he said, I, I was going on a tour. I said, look, Harry, come on, come with me on the tour. You know, I'll pay you so full time and I'll get my instrument rating. We'll take the glass air. We'll just fly it to every gig. Let's just do that. It'll be super fun. And so we did that. And, you know, I think about a thousand hours later on that glass air, I was flying it um, down the coast from, I think, Monterey down to L.A. And I'm along the I'm along the the shore, and there's Big Sur, and I'm flying this little plane. And I already had one scare in the plane when I um, naively went into icing conditions. You know, mm. it's like I can see now. So when I read about that stuff in the the uh, in the in the manuals where you read about these, you know, really horrible accidents, you know, I I I could have been that I could have been read about because you just naively just don't realize. Uh oh, and I I have ice building up on the wings and. I couldn't, I wasn't being able to climb and I thought, okay, I better get, some, things better change quickly. And so I remember talking to air traffic control and, I, and I, I could tell that I was almost out of the clouds. I just needed to go up a couple thousand feet. And I said, look, I need higher. And they go, we can't give you higher. I said, look, I really need higher. Are you declaring an emergency? I said, in 30 seconds, I will declare an emergency if you don't give me higher. Well, 20 seconds later, they go, you can, you can go higher. So I break out of the clouds, I look at my wings, they're all iced up and then the ice starts to melt and I landed. So I already had a scare in that little airplane, mm -hmm. uh, but I handled it, you know, no problem, I handled it. And when I was flying down from uh, Monterey, I was flying over the ocean, the ocean was super rough. And I'm looking at the highway and it's super curvy. And I thought, you know, if I lose my engine right now, I have nowhere to go, nowhere. This little plane is gonna glide like a rock because it's got mm -hmm. little tiny wings. It's not gonna glide very far. And I said, okay, this is my last flight in this plane today. Today is my last flight. And I'm, I, I mean, I had no reason to assume that anything else was going to happen except it was going to work out great, which it did. I landed Burbank and I never got back in the plane. I sold it and decided to get something that would glide a little farther. And that's when I got the, the, the Havilland Beaver um, because I had those big wings and it'll glide forever. So... Okay, that's bring me through that. You have to bring me through that because that's a crazy leap. Uh, I mean, to go from a, a glass air to an enormous De Havilland DHC two Beaver. I mean, that I'm going to show a picture of your plane up here for folks that aren't here. It's gorgeous. I understand yeah. that it's uh, obviously uh, uh, in 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 the shop at the moment, but it is. Oh yeah, that's beautiful. a great shot. Oh, and you know what's funny about that particular day that on that flight? I remember that flight. I took that's that's out of um, um, that's in Nevada. That's Prim. You know where Prim is? There's a little airport. Uh, there's a casino there. I played a gig the night before, and I'm and I was on my way to uh, to like uh, Palm Springs to play another gig. And so I took uh, I took off from that airport, put my gear up, and it only went up halfway, and it's just sticking there, locked halfway up and halfway down. I remember that day. And then I and then I go, oh shoot, I don't know what to do. 
And so I, so I start circling the airport and I got a full, a full tank so I can fly for the next three hours. So I circle the airport, I tell them, hey, I, I might have a problem here. Can you verify? And the guy's got his binoculars. Yeah, it looks like your gear's stuck halfway. I start pumping the emergency things, nothing's happening. So I get on the phone and I call my, my, um, my beaver experts in Seattle. <laughs> There's a couple guys I can call. That your are beaver whisperer? <laughs> the guys that have like 15, 20,000 beaver hours. They know everything. So I talk to them and eventually we, we found out it was some circuit breakers that, had, were, were, that needed to be pushed in on the hydraulics that work that stuff. And my, for whatever reason, my scan didn't see those. I push them in, the gear goes down. Now it's down. And I says, what do I do now? The guy goes, land. <laughs> I, said, I said, look, I, got, I have a gig to play. Why don't I just leave the gear down? I'll fly in gear speed and I'll I got enough fuel. I'll just go to Palm Springs. He goes, you can do that. I said, that's what I'm going to do. So that's what I did. I, so, now, so I was really slow. I fly like it's, you know, 75 miles an hour or whatever it was. I was just keeping in the gear speed and I flew it to there and I landed and then, uh, Ended up just making sure everything was good with it, but it just seemed like it was some circuit breakers. But when you, when I see that picture, it reminds me of that that day right there, uh, which just goes to show you, you know, when you're a private pilot, little things happen that 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 aren't necessarily life threatening if you just handle them with with uh, intelligence and patience, and you don't freak out, and, mm -hmm. and you don't try to do anything crazy, and you just and you should have enough fuel to give yourself time to make to to make uh, good decisions. So that worked out fine. That that makes sense. So again, I'm I'm curious because the, the, it's not like a, a Cessna, a Piper, or whatever. The, you've got to be looking to find a beaver. What? And I'm not, not, not trying to play the word game here, but what? Okay. How did this happen? I mean, what drew you to that? Okay, so I I was living in Seattle and I'm living on Lake Washington, and my neighbor had a 206 on floats. Uh -huh. And I've, I've seen the beavers flying, and the beaver looks so beautiful. What a plane. So I, uh, there was a, another neighbor had a beaver. I said, where'd you get that beaver? Okay, we can, we can the word game, where'd you get that beaver? <laughs> I, want one. I want a beaver just like yours. And he says, <laughs> by uh, Kenmore Aviation uh, on Lake Washington. And so I went there, and I said, look, um, I'd, I'd, like to, I'd like to get a plane. Oh, and they go, hey. There, there's Harrison Ford's where we're building it for him right now. I go, oh, that's a good paint paint uh, thing. I want to do paint, but something like that, but different colors. Okay, build me one just like that. Whatever you're doing for him, do that same thing for me. <laughs> and so that's what happened. So I, that's how I did it. <laughs> you literally followed the Harrison Ford approach to. Uh... <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, and, and I think that his, the name of his plan, I don't know this for, for a fact, and if, he, if you're watching Harrison, I don't know, but. <laughs> The plane, uh, well, I won't describe it, but it had a name called like the Green Hornet. It had a mm. name, uh, not that I would want a name for my plane, but I, 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 I kind of copied the, 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 the way the paint is, but just used different color. And I, I think my, my airplane looks beautiful. And hopefully by May, it'll look just like that, all put together perfectly and ready to fly again. So I'm, I'm Even super better. Even better. It's just a different level of inspection. You're just yeah. going through a, a, a teardown and a rebuild. It's all, there's always a reason. There's that's a reason. right, that's right. It's gonna be even better. And, um, you know, I've always had a problem with the, with the fuel tip in my right wing tip. It just never, never wants to drain. I have to slip the plane. Every time I use my wing tips, at the end of the flight, my right wing is, I'm always flying like this, like, God, why do I do this? But I didn't wanna make an extra fuel stop. So now with, with everything apart, I, we're, we're actually gonna actually put the, the wing tip 
uh, how, however, it, what, what happens is the wingtips fuel goes into the front tanks. That's how you use it. So mm. there's a switch, the le a lever. When you do that, then the, the fuel comes down. But always get, it would always kind of stick in uh, like four or five gallons or three gallons in the right tank, tank, and that's like 20 or 25 pounds. So it's just still gives it a little extra weight. Hopefully that'll get fixed, and that's going to be a great plus for me. Yeah, just that see, there's, there's always an upside. I always tell people whenever they're coming to me with, with problems, if they need major work to an airplane, there's always an upside. There's always something that you're going to do that's going to, at the end of the day, is going to make you so much happier that yes. you wouldn't have gotten to otherwise. Um, couldn't agree more. Uh, any any kind of a mistake that you make, or or if you have an, I always tell my kids, if you can live and learn, that's the best. You don't want to die and learn, and then 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 you don't have a chance to do it again. But so say so something really bad happens, but you live through it and you learn from it. That's the best way you can learn your lessons. Yeah. So the, tell me a little bit about the differences. I mean, it's a it is a big plane, um, yeah. uh, but it's got an un amazing history to it. Yeah, I love the safety that I read about it. You know, you talk to these Bieber pilots and they'll tell you that, yeah, you know, I had two cylinders blow on me, but the engine still <laughs> kept going. And I said, great, that's my kind of plane, you know, fine. And so just just all that safety. Um, and then I, having it on amphibs was great because then I've got options, you know, I can, I can land on the land, I can land on the sea. Um, also, all that, all those big floats. You know, if if I do have to land it off road or somewhere, that'll take the impact first. If I have to land it, you know, I've I've, I've studied how to what I'm supposed to do in emergencies because, you know, these pilots that have 10,000, 20,000 hours have had to put these airplanes down in certain circumstances. Like, how did you do it? What do right. I do? I just have a lot of that knowledge, and I just feel like I've got a safe airplane. It's slow though. It's very slow, especially, you know, when I fly it from LA to the um, to the East Coast. Mm -hmm. That hard part of the flight is the first day going from LA to, let's say, Albuquerque in mm -hmm. July. It's hard because it's super hot, super hot. So once I, you know, so I use my my wingtips. Then I take off from from the LA airport. Uh, I I fly out of Camarillo, and mm -hmm. I I try to get up to like 11,000 feet so I can just stay up there as long as I can. But when I come down, the, the next takeoff, I'm taking off in like 100 degree weather. Mm. And it's, it's tricky because you don't want to fill up with too much fuel because of density, altitude. So you, you have to really, really watch. That's the tricky part. And that's the part I really don't like about yeah. my cross-country flying. Once I get past Albuquerque, good to go. Good to go. I don't, I'm good there. You know, Dalhart, Texas is not my next stop. And then I'll stop in like, you know, um, uh, could be Kansas City. And then I'll hit you know, Peoria, and then I might head up Chicago, and then I'll go past Detroit, and then I got to cross the border, I'll go up to Canada, and it's really a cool trip, and I've done it probably about a dozen times, um, maybe eight times alone, and uh, maybe four times I've had people with me, it's been super cool. It seems like an airplane uh, that, at least when you're not dealing with super hot temperatures or, or density altitude, that you you can load a lot in there. I mean, that plane was meant to take some moose meat out of somewhere. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's 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 got a that engine is really strong. So, but but one thing that I never I never never overload it. Never do that. Mm -hmm. I know that's where you, you're asking for trouble. Um, and so you know if if I've got a bunch of friends that want to go flying, I'll like I'll look them over. I'll go, all right, I'm going to pick the two the two lightest people. No offense. <laughs> you know, you guys aren't getting in the airplane. You know, you you're too heavy. <laughs> or, or only 
you alone. And that's just the way it is. You got to make decisions like that, you know? Yeah. You told uh, a, a really good story. I'm hoping that you'd uh, repeat for some folks here at uh, at the Legends event uh, with Kurt having to do with Kurt taking Kurt Russell flying, I believe. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and that was spontaneous. I never even thought about talking about that. But um, so we were, yeah, we were about to do this uh, duet uh, with uh, Morgan Freeman, which, come on, who gets to, who gets to do a duet with Morgan Freeman? It was so cool. Um, and, uh, but, uh, so, Kurt Russell was there, and then, and anyway, before the before the show, the the song, uh, Tom, who was the uh, MC, was asking me about the Beaver, and I looked at Kurt Russell and I go, oh yeah, he we had a flight together in my in my airplane, so the story is that um, we were both on the same lake, and and so he's he, so and and so you know people get to know each other. It's not like everybody knows everybody, but pilots we're on the same lake, we're kind of in the same business. Uh, mutual friends and so we met and he's what a great guy what a great guy so he calls me or, or we call each other he goes hey let's go golfing at this other golf resort on a different lake come pick me up in your beaver and let's go so I go to his dock pick him up and we go and on the way back um, the the wind has kicked up and if anybody out there uh, flies a float plane you know that when you land on the water, your airplane wants to weather vane into the wind, like a duck. Like a duck will always, if you ever want to know where the wind's coming from, that's the things that, that we seaplane pilots look for. We look at where, if there's a goose on the lake, he's always facing into the wind. So you just know that. And, and, you, and you know how the waves go and you can watch how the surf goes and you can know where the wind is. So the airplane, I land fine, of course, and then I'm trying to go to his dock and the airplane keeps wanting to go to the where the wind's coming from, and I can't get to his dock, and I can't get to it. And so I say to him, okay, look, I'm gonna go in hot now. I'm gonna go in real hot, and then I'm gonna overpower the wind, and then we're gonna be cool. And Kurt goes, I don't think that's gonna work. And I say, <laughs> and I say, look, I'm the seaplane pilot here, bro. I know it's gonna work. So he was totally right. It did not work. All it did was I went so I was going so fast that that once I weather vaned, I was now heading for shoreline, and there was no way I wasn't going to hit the shoreline. And I didn't want to scratch up the beaver. So I look over at Kurt, and I say I say something like, "Bro, I, I'm out of here." And I take and I get off, get out, open the door, run to the front of the airplane, and I dive into the water so that I'm going to stop the airplane from getting all scratched up. And if I get scratched up, I'll I'll be fine. <laughs> And so, so, I, so as I'm waiting for the airplane, I'm just staring at the airplane. Here it's coming, it's coming. I look to my side and there's Kurt Russell. There's Kurt Russell who had just decided that he's going to just help his fellow bro out. He took off his shirt, he jumped into the water and he's standing there ready to get all beaten up to help me keep the, the plane from getting scratched up. And I looked at him, I went, bro, you're, one, you're some kind of guy and you are some kind of guy. And that was a really cool moment. I, I'll never forget it. I'll, I'll, he'll always have my respect as a man's man for, for, for doing that. That's really cool. Because he didn't have to do that. He could have just stayed in the airplane and, and, and let the pilot deal with his airplane. No, but he, he's a very accomplished pilot. And that is, a, that is a classy move. Very classy move. Yeah. He was flying. Uh, he was talking to me about turboprops. And I think he was flying a turboprop up to the up to that area. And he was telling me, man, you should get rid of that beaver and, and get a turbo. And and I said, you know, I think I'll be all right. I think, you know, the beaver's got a good history. I think of the as long as the engine works fine, I'll be fine. Wow. Do you, I mean, do you see this as the plane that you're going to stay with? 
like uh, long term, you're just you're absolutely in love with it and it just fits? Yeah, but you know, if I had an unlimited amount of of um, of capital, I think what I would I think what I might do would I might leave the beaver up there at the lake and then get one of those like um, I know what's it called the Eclipse Jet? It's got the it's like that oh, single, you know like what I'm talking about? Jet? It, yeah, it's got a little plane, the wing, the the Cirrus SF50 jet, yeah, something like that, and it's uh. It's got some like a button you push and it just it'll land it by itself, uh, you know, at some airport. It does all the thing, and I'll get one of those and then fly that across the country so I could do that in like you know ten hours instead of three days. I would do that. Kenny, Kenny that, I don't think I don't think that's unachievable for you, man. That's, yeah, that, that, that that doesn't seem like much of a reach. I think I think you can make that happen. I think we can. Uh, we've had Dale Klapmeyer here on the show. We'll put a word in. <laughs> maybe, maybe I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready to, ready to do that. Yeah, I kind of, I, I kind of like the, the the romance of the of of stopping it. At, at you know some of the airports that I stop at, there there's not a person there. There's just a gas pump and a credit card. I take my credit card and I just pull up and there's not a person. It's an empty field with a gas pump and I fill up and look around and use the bathroom when you know literally there's no bathroom, but I use the bathroom and get back in the airplane and I go, you know, that was actually really cool. I just stood in the middle of this field, looked around, there was no, no, no people to talk to and, and just doing, doing that, that whole network of general aviation that's really great. You know, the, 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 air, the air traffic controllers, the people at the airports, everybody wants to help everybody else out. I mean, I just think I've met so many wonderful people uh, on my, on all my trips across the country where, you know, I'm, stuck somewhere like I think I landed this one airport and there was just no there's no cabs there's no nothing and then I just saw somebody go hey can you give me a ride somewhere and didn't know who I was or anything and said sure and takes me to some hotel and says hey what time are you coming back I said well I'm probably going to take off at five in the morning I'll pick you up just picks me up takes me back to the airplane and just because you know or here's the keys and he just throws me the keys to some old like Dodge Charger that's sitting there, and I get the Dodge Charger. You trust that I'm going to bring the Dodge Charger back, which of course I will, and and, and it's a really cool vibe. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, that is just one of the best parts of general aviation is middle of nowhere, meeting people spontaneously, and yeah. getting to see what our community is all about. You know, w one time I was trying to get to uh, my lake place up in Canada. And um, this is, this is again, this is what you read about in those magazines. So the weather's really, really crappy. And I'm instrument rated, but I'm still, but for whatever reason, at that time in my, my flying uh, career, I was not really a career, I was just nervous about flying in the clouds. Yeah, I'm not now, because I've, I've overcome it, and I'm, I've put in the reps, and now I feel really good about it. But I, so I would be scud running. You know, I'm low. And it keeps getting lower and it keeps getting, you know, you know, that whole story, right? So I'm flying along the shore of Lake Huron. So I'm looking like, okay, well, I got lake underneath me if anything happens. And so I'm going to try to just get under this one little cloud. And now all of a sudden it's just down to the water in front of me. Ah, shoot. I'll turn around. I turn around. It's down to the water behind me. Mm. Oh, okay. So I go straight down, you know, and I land and I'm just kind of sitting out there. And now the people that are, uh, have their little places uh, on the shore are coming out to see why what's going on am, am I do I am I in trouble whatever and so I met some people and I just told them no I'm just waiting for the weather to clear they go come on in 
<laughs> so I, you know, I, I, I beach the airplane and I go in and um, people are giving me food, no drinks yet, no, but it's like a family and then some, somebody recognized me and then they go, hey, are you? And I go, yeah, and they go, oh my God, I can't believe so. It was a little awkward, you know, but here I am just like in someone's living room and I'm kind of stuck thinking, uh, okay, uh, I hope everybody's going to be cool. I'm, I'm going to get to leave, right? You're not going <laughs> to at me forever. <laughs> And I spent like four hours there waiting for, just waiting for just a little window. I got my window and I left and it was, it was super cool though to meet these people that, how would I ever meet somebody like that? Isn't that absolutely wonderful? I, I, I swear it's my favorite thing about general aviation is, is doing that. So, so much so that uh, uh, we took a, a trip with my two boys uh, not that long ago where we did a trip we actually titled and put out on YouTube called No Magenta Line where we had no plan. Nice. We never had a magenta line ever on it. We literally went up and looked. We went in general compass directions, and the only thing we used our map for was to stay out of airspace. And we just looked at a town, circled it. If it looked cool, we landed there and see what happens next. How long was your trip? It was uh, uh, right about a week, a little bit, uh, perhaps a little bit longer than that. And I swear, we wound up going spelunking and cave exploring and people took us up skydiving and none of it was planned. We just landed, talked to people, told them what we were doing and they were like, you have to come with us or you have to come to dinner at our house. Or Just like you said, it's the way our world works and I can't encourage more people to do it. You, of course, all doors would open for, as you mentioned. <laughs> well, you know, I'm not that recognizable when I'm in aviation most of the time, but <laughs> people do and then all of a sudden, you know, I. I get the special treatment, which I, I'm not sure how I feel about that. Yes, I, I, I enjoy it, but I kind of thinking, would you just be the same way if, uh, if you didn't recognize me? And I'm hoping that the answer would be yes. Probably so, I'm thinking. I think the good news is it generally is, because we hear these stories from, from everyone, which is wonderful. T tell me a little bit about comparing the aviation community to the music community, because you have, of course, this... You've, you're in both. And, and what, uh, are there any commonalities that you see? Guy, good question. Uh, I know a lot of, uh, well, I know a few musicians that are pilots, um, but I would say, you know, it, you, you have to be meticulous to be a good pilot. And you have to mm -hmm. be meticulous to be a good musician. So there's, there's the commonality there. And, you know, you have to practice. You have to keep your skill level up, obviously. Your life depends on it more in the air than it does, you know, on stage. But it's, um, I think those are the commonalities. In terms of the personalities, uh, you know, my business, there's a lot more ego, I think, than in aviation. Mm -hmm. Good pilots usually don't have much of an ego. They're just always trying to learn. At least that's how I am. I, I don't have an ego when it comes to, to, to aviation. It's always, okay, I need to learn. Like, I always like to go up with um, the two, there's two really smart guys out of Camarillo, you know, Curtis Warren and, and Jeff Witzel. Um, those two guys, Jeff used to be a, a Delta pilot for like 40 years. He was a captain. And mm -hmm. Curtis, Curtis is like the smartest pilot I've ever met. And so it's like, okay, Curtis, take me up. I mean, let's go up and watch me and tell me and, and just critique me. Tell me what I'm, and then you give me little things. And so will Jeff. And then I'll say, okay, you fly, you fly this, uh, this uh, RNAV. And let me watch how you do it. And I say, and then, oh, how are you keeping that level so, you know, the needle so, so pure? And then they tell me, and I, I like learning that. And I think that a lot of good pilots are like that. Musicians, not quite the same in terms of the ego, because then it's more about like they, a lot of people, a lot of musicians want to be the center of attention. 
Mm. It's well, only when I do say, of course, that if you're at, you know, uh, the, the old saying goes, if you're at an event or if you're at a dinner or if you're at something, how do you know there's a pilot there? They'll tell you. Yeah, are musicians oh, the same way? <laughs> oh, I guess so. I don't know this about pilots. I guess so. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, that's how it is. So, but not, I think not, we're careful about our egos when we're amongst our own because it, you just kind of know that the chance you're going to stumble into someone far more accomplished than you is high. Yeah, that's um, true. But maybe when you're just out and you feel like, okay, there aren't any other pilots here. I'm a pilot. Uh, you know. <laughs> now, I, I, for me, it's I, I'm you know I I like to I like to just I, I'm a good listener when it comes to aviation. I like to hear about how people fly. Uh, and so, you know, obviously today you're, you're, we're talking and you're asking me questions, so I'm talking a lot about it. But normally, I'm more of a listener than, than someone that shares too many of my flying experiences because somebody will then have their story about there and then somebody will have their story and there's every, somebody's trying to up the other person. And for me, it's, it's not like that. I, I'm, I'm just, I'm happy to be in the background until I'm on stage with my saxophone. Then, then I do want to be the center of attention. That uh, that makes sense. I and I have to say again of, of seeing you out at the the legends. What what I was struck by, I I was fortunate enough to see you during your practice session. And when you were just warming up on your own, all, with the exception of maybe you know me in the background somewhere, almost no one you know listening, people setting tables, things like that. I was absolutely awestruck. That is probably the coolest music I have ever heard you play. Oh, wow. <laughs> you were just riffing. You were just going, warming up. Yeah, just working on my scales. Just, uh, you know, that's what I do every morning for my hours and hours. So, yeah, that, that's that's the fun for me is the challenge of trying to learn something really complicated. And then over a period of time, it becomes easy. And then now what's the now learn something else complicated. And that mm -hmm. becomes easy. And if you do that enough times, you have a lot of things that you can play that are amazing that for you are pretty easy because you've just put in all those hours. Yeah. Yeah. Do yeah. you have an, an, an opportunity in, in a public setting to, to just to, to, to kind of go without a plan to, to kind of, as you said, jazz is about improv improvisation. Are, are you able to, to just kind of in certain settings, just, just go, just, just go with where it takes you? Yeah, but it's more of a, it's within the structure though. Um, mm -hmm. You know, if I'm playing a, if I'm playing a gig and uh, I, I want to play a certain song of mine, within the song I can improvise and, but the song has a certain structure to it. So the melody is recognizable and, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, my whole thing is improvisation. So I go, I just do what hits me at the time. But again, it's within a basic structure so that's kind of yeah. how i do it i don't it's not all just complete free form uh because people i don't think people would be able to to connect with any of that so if i'm playing a gig for them you know i, I kind of want to give them something that they can connect to if i'm on my own like like you saw at the, at the rehearsal i'm just playing what i want to play and if you want to listen to that that's great come come and listen but i'm not i'm not really entertaining i'm just i'm just going through my my skills and my you know my um, my regime, like if you're in the gym, you're, you know, let's say you just want to do your push-ups and sit-ups and you want to get strong, you do that to get strong, but it's mm -hmm. not necessarily what you do during the game that you play. Right, right, which makes sense, but it also makes me feel that much luckier and, and more blessed that I got to see you when you did not have to perform for anyone 
but I got to see that because that literally left me even saying to other people like, I knew he was good. I had no idea okay. that it was that cool. Thanks for saying and that. And I mean that very, very sincerely. Like that that blew me blew me away. Um, Thank you. It makes makes the practicing all worthwhile when you hear that. Thank you. Have you uh, have you had any settings other than just traveling to gigs where you were able to combine flying and music? Mm, not really. That's pretty much how it works. If I'm lucky that if I if the gigs are close enough that that beaver can make it before before the gig you know starts because it's slow you know so it can't be too far between shows and mileage uh it works out really really well so that's the that's the fun part for me um other than that you, with no it's you like, take I don't, it with you? like if you uh wind up uh, going and, and landing on that lake somewhere or doing anything do you usually have have uh have your sacks with you i always have my sacks with me always I always have it and there's been times when i've just pulled it out and, and sat in the back of the airplane and and played but unfortunately the acoustics inside the airplane are not great mm. so so i'd have to so I, I could get out on the float and play uh, which i've done and that's kind of cool but uh yeah you know it's not necessarily the way that my music gets composed it's yeah. i wish i could tell you if i knew if i had a formula for it i'd just do it that way but some songs are, are just come to my head when I'm driving. Some songs come to me when I'm practicing. Some songs come to me when I'm sleeping. And some songs come to me when I'm flying. I'll, I'll hear a melody and I go, okay, I got to write this down quick before I forget it. And and so that's kind of how it works. And then I'll, I'll try it out later and see if, it's, if it amounts to something. And then little by little, you you start to compose more songs and then you, you can put a record together. And that takes a long time for me. It takes years sometimes to make a, a good record. Just because I just want everything to be really, really great. <laughs> which, which it does. <laughs> Thanks. That's that's absolutely fantastic. I I I, I love that, and uh, it just make it's it's what makes you you. What what makes you uh, valuable to both the music community as well as uh, uh, all of us in aviation. Also, did I see a clip somewhere in the ether YouTube land of you playing on a commercial flight? Oh yeah, yeah. That was uh, I, I didn't want to do that at all. That was really I was just I was kind of forced into it. I was sitting next to a lady. Uh, she was a flight attendant, but she was off. So we were sitting together, and she goes, um, "You know, I'm trying to raise money for this charity thing that she had going. I think she lost her daughter to uh, uh, something." And I know. So she goes, "I really want to raise money. So um, would you do? Would you play on the airplane for everybody?" I go. Wow, how would I play for everybody? I mean, nobody's paying attention, and there's no like stage, and 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 then so so she. That's I said, a rough look, ask. That's a rough ask. I said, and plus, you know what? Look, what, what's it going to raise? You know, two hundred bucks here, here. I'll just give you the money, so I don't have to do it because I don't I I don't want people to think that oh there there he goes he can't he can't. I'll give you two hundred bucks for me not to do it. I'm sure no because I don't want people to think like oh you know he needs all that attention. And so eventually it just found, I, I, I was forced into it. And I mean, you know, I knew that it was going to be a good thing. So I walked down the aisle playing the song and they announced, hey, listen, um, we're raising money for this. If you like it, um, put some money in the such and such. And, uh, I, and I said, look, if we don't raise at least $3,000, $3, um, 
I'll be upset or something like that. So they told that to people. So they started putting in more money and they raised up, you know, like four or $5,000 or which was always cool. And I'm glad I did it for her. And it was a really beautiful thing at the end. But for me personally, it was, it was really, really tricky because I take pride in, in my, my performances. And so you know how much time I put into a sound check and making sure the sound is beautiful. And you saw this, what I was doing that, do. that sound check. I want to make sure that sax sounds beautiful when people hear it. On an airplane, you know, it's me practicing, it's playing up in a, in a, in a, in a tube that's noisy, you know? Yes. So it's not going to sound all that great. And people, you know, they responded. But for me, it wasn't my most fun thing to do, but I did it. I, I do get that. And I, I didn't realize that was the background, of course, on the story. I just saw a small clip of you doing it and was like, what's the story on this? Yeah. And to all of the people who keep asking for you to play something on here, that's the reason, of course, because you're sitting on this and in this venue that um, uh, we didn't, you know, try to set something up for you to play right now. I'm not trying to corner you into that either. <laughs> you know what? Ne next time. Next time. If, next if time. We should discuss it beforehand, and then instead of me sitting here in the living room, I'll go in my studio, and then I'll have it all set up, and when I play, it'll sound just like the CD live, and I'll be happy to play something. It'll be exactly, and I, I I mean that sincerely. Like that's why we didn't court you into anything like that. I wouldn't do it. Wouldn't wouldn't do that either. But I need to answer all the people who want to know why. <laughs> sorry. No, listen, I'm sorry if you expect you me to. It's, it's, uh, yeah, we didn't set it up. Yeah, that's all. No, no, no. We will do that another time when you, when you come back. Uh, and, and I'm so grateful for you joining us now, before we wrap up the show, um, I want to try, uh, go through with us. We have a new thing here. It's social flights fast five, which are going to be five questions for you. I'm nervous. Not, there are, I want to, cannot emphasize enough. There are no wrong answers. Okay. So this is just some fun uh, that uh, that we want to do, but um, are you ready for social flights? Fast I'm five questions. Not ready, but I'm going. Uh, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> all right, Kenny G. Here we go. First of all, favorite song to fly to or have anything to do with when you're when you're aviation. Favorite song would be uh, Isley Brothers song called "For the Love of You." Wonderful. For the love of you, for anyone out there looking at it uh, when flying. Excellent. Now, next question. Um, have you ever done an aviation, an aviation themed music video of your music? I Anything have. Aviation? I have. I did, an, I did a, a video of a song of mine called The Moment in Seattle, where I was flying the beaver. I was on the beaver playing my sax on the floats and we filmed it like that. So, yes. Excellent, excellent. And the, again, the, the moment in Seattle is what people should look at? No, the, 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 the song is called The Moment. It was filmed in Seattle, but the song's, the name of the song is called The Moment. Okay, for everybody out there to go look at that. And I was All so right. young, too. I love looking at it because I was so much younger. <laughs> <laughs> Next one, strangest thing you've ever put in your beaver? The strangest thing I've ever put in my beaver? Um, Gosh, mm. what would be strange? Uh, We've stumped you. What, what's, what's, what, I think you've stumped me. What, what, what's strange? Nothing, nothing, you can put anything in a beaver, nothing strange. <laughs> Whether you've got alcohol or, or. We'll let you, we'll let you pass on, uh, on things that you've put in your beaver. Understood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's nothing that you, that you can't put in a beaver. 
Exactly. Uh, okay, number four. If you could, from anywhere, history, current, doesn't matter. If you could choose anyone uh, uh, around history or current that you would love to be able to sit down with for drinks, dinner, et cetera, and spend some time with, who comes to mind? Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney. Yeah, Paul McCartney. I That's a wanted, wonderful answer. I always wanted to meet him. Always wanted to meet him, and always wanted to play a song with him. I'm just waiting. So somehow I'll get on his radar, and and he's going to call me and say, "Hey, would you play a solo on this song?" And I'm just waiting for that. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Last question. Okay. Yeah. Best cloud. Best cloud. What does that mean? Best cloud. What is the best cloud? What is the best type of cloud? <laughs> best kind of cloud? <laughs> That's a question. It's a question. I'm not the one who wrote it. <laughs> best clouds are 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 way underneath me. And best not, clouds are way underneath me. Yeah. Okay. So I'm, I'm 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 in the clear and I'm looking down at the clouds. That's that's best. <laughs> That's that's an excellent answer. Other acceptable answers, according to the FAA, would have been stratus, lenticular, or a number of others. So we're not going to say anything was was wrong with any of those. <laughs> but yeah. that is a, that a clouds beneath you. That's a great answer. Yeah, love it. And when I'm flying IFR, you know, and finally you you get out of the the, the soup, and then all of a sudden you're in the clear, and then you see a whole another cloud layer below you. It's like ah, finally, ah, that instrument rating was worth every penny. <laughs> well, Kenny, thank you so, so much for joining us. Thanks for playing Social Flight Fast Five. Thanks for being here on Social Flight Live. Um, I, I am truly grateful. You really are such a, a, a gift to both the music community, the aviation community. I, I've been um, really, really privileged to get to know you, and I hope you will come back on the show at some point, and maybe, uh, uh, maybe we will get some music out of you. If I come, when, when I come back, definitely have to play because we have to, we have to up it up, you know, you can't just do the same thing. So we have to, we have to make, improve in the next Exactly. Sure. We'll yeah. get you back after your Paris uh, uh, tour or trip uh, when things calm down for you. Yeah. Hopefully I'll have some more uh, flying stories because I'll hopefully get that, that beaver flying in May and then in July, you know, fly it across the country again. That's what I'm hoping. And I, you know, I hope it's ready. If not, it'll, it might have to wait till next year, but whatever, I'll wait. I'm if patient. you ever find your way into the Northeast near Boston, anything like that, uh, we will make sure to connect with you in person. That would I've be lived, uh, again. I've lived in Logan before many times. I know the area. I've, I've gone to Cape Cod. I've, I've got. I know that. I've landed in all those little airports around there. It's super fun. Martha's Vineyard. Next time you get anywhere near there, you know my number, my friend. Okay, I'll look you up. You got it. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, Kenny G. Everyone, and thanks again. Thanks, Jeff. Really enjoyed Have it. Have a wonderful evening. Too. Good night. And to all of you, thank you for everything that you do to support general aviation and keep all of us out there flying. We'll be back next Tuesday, February 27th, with a very special show on helicopters in war with Congressional Medal of Honor winner, Major General Patrick Brady. Uh, he has a, a really amazing book. Uh, you can just uh, look him up. It, it's his story of flying in Vietnam and uh, the rescue dust-off missions that, that he flew to save hundreds and hundreds, probably thousands of people uh, is truly mind-boggling. And then on Tuesday, March 5th, 
It's more helicopters because we're here with the aerobatic helicopter pioneer, Chuck Aaron, here on Social Flight Live. Until next time, I'm Jeff Simon for Social Flight. Blue skies. Thank you.